Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's Sunday special where a selection of the Tortoise Shack hosts come together to discuss and rant about the news of the week. It's also special because it's where we get to come together live weekly with our amazing patrons, invariably dragging some some of them up for the chats um, with us. If you want to be part of this, one of the more engaging reflections on the week, sign up at patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. So I'm Vicky from Placed, and I'm going to be joined this morning by Tony and Martin from the Echo Chamber podcast. Linda from Packwoman Podcast and James is joining us for the first time from the two Norries. Norries so a big welcome to James. Um, Hello, James. <laughs> we had to we had to get a bit of cork balancing. Yeah, no, we're we're getting over we're over we're overwhelmed with cork, but but no, um, it's forty percent right now. Can, can I can I can I just say to the lads the last actually the 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 the, the episodes that went out yesterday is terrific, but there's thirty there's thirty two episodes now James already in the public domain lads if you're only discovering the two Norries go back and check them go out back. the stuff is yeah. the stuff is powerful everything from from Lynn Rowan and, and Sharon Lambert to people and people you've never heard of telling their stories but their their, their things and it's it's a real credit to you guys um, what you've done and even 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 t- that conversation with Ray Darcy wasn't that bad and you know <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's- it's such an important um, space for particularly men talking about issues around mental health and addiction and so on. It's really powerful. Yeah, I think what's very, um, what I like about it is, that, like you said, Tony, some people have a coming on, they have no profile, but they have the best stories. Yeah. And I think it, that's why it's popular because people can identify because they're not up on a pedestal. They're everyday people like me and you going through the challenges we all go through but coming out the other end. So that's why it's popular, I think. There's nothing every day about Tony. Um, <laughs> we have tons to talk about this Valentine's Day. Uh, a few things like what didn't happen in Washington last night. We're not really going to bring ourselves to talk about that. But it was yet another roller coaster at home, especially as it came to COVID. Um, and I think we're all at the end of our tether with government announcements, or should we say announcements via RTE rather than a straight broadcast. Um, but we're going to start today um with something to help focus our energies. Um, and we're really delighted to be joined by Grace Dias from We Can Be Zero, who's going to chat to us about how that campaign is doing and how people can get involved. So thanks so much for joining us, Grace. Thanks a million. Can you hear me all right? Got gotcha. you, yes. Claire. Yeah, yeah I met one in the year. So the, uh, we'll talk another time about rural broadband. But <laughs> 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 So if, I, if you lose me at any point, just maybe... Let me know in the chat, and then I can move around like the like in the eighties with TV aerials and try and <laughs> <laughs> figure it out. Thanks. Um, so yeah, we so, had um, we had Simone on last week, um, and yeah. I think people are really keen to hear about what's how this week has gone and how are things going. Yeah. So um, I guess the big thing for us this week is that we're now calling on um, governments across our shared islands to adopt a zero COVID response by February 22nd. So the two island approach, as I'm sure people have kind of heard about. Um, So that's the kind of gold medal for zero COVID. So if we can get the gold medal of leaders in Dublin, Belfast and London working together, that would be amazing. That's the top brass. Like that's what we really want. The silver medal is an all island approach, which people have been calling for since day one. I mean, it makes sense. The bronze medal, which is totally doable. And, you know, a lot of people got bronze medals. Michelle, you know, what's her name? Michelle, the swimmer. Michelle, she, she was Michelle. Sw- but we called her the broom when she, we called her the broom when she got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So the bronze medal is nothing to be sniffed at. You know, Michelle, we all Michelle Smith. There's probably a better sports metaphor that I can come up with after this. But if we if she got she got a bit in trouble, didn't she? Yeah. But yeah. So the bronze medal is still good. The bronze medal is nothing to be sniffed at, right? So that's the the Republic um, bringing in zero COVID. Um, that's the bronze medal. And that's totally possible. We don't have to seal the border to do that. The ISAG have a plan about how they would manage the border with, you know, with the Garda Shikana. But the plan has to suppose that there wouldn't be any cooperation on the other side, which I think is like unlikely. Do you know, I think we can get to silver. I, I actually think we could get to gold. And gold would be amazing. Like, think about this. There's 320,000 Irish people living in the UK. So, like, you know, it makes sense for us all to kind of work together on this. Like, these are our shared islands. Our lives are entwined, whether we like it or not. That can be a conversation for another day. But at the moment, there's a fire going on. You know, there's a fire in our house, in both of our houses on these shared islands. There's a disease that's taking the lives of people prematurely, that's giving people long COVID. 
that's affecting our ability to kind of you know live our lives the way we want to I'd love to be you know recording this you know in in the studio being able to meet us all have a cup of tea afterwards we can't that just has to stop right like everyone is sick of that and so you know the main thing is it's never too late to save lives like that's the main thing but also like we really think that zero COVID is the way that we can live together again so tonight five o'clock to suit the New Zealander times and we're having a another kind of public meeting like our first one but this is going to be a kind of a shared awake so we're hoping that we can all come together and grieve for for everything that we've lost so for all the lives that we've lost um, and for all the all the experiences that we've lost and it, you know we did a little bit of looking at the figures and if you tot up over our shared islands like 135,000 people will have lost their lives to this disease by the time that we're on or this virus by the time that we're on the call tonight and that's a huge loss of life and then think about on top of that all the people who've died of you know tragic or natural causes are all the reasons that people die and they haven't had any kind of funeral they haven't had the wake they haven't had those rituals and I think that is kind of that and the fact that we can't protest so we can't kind of meet in the streets or we can't kind of organize that's what's causing us all to be a bit stuck and I really feel for you know I feel for Michal Martin I feel like he's stuck you know it's very hard to know what to do like because we can't organize can't meet each other you can't get the sense of like how are people feeling about this he doesn't know that the Irish people would get behind uh, zero COVID. Boris Johnson doesn't know if the British people would get behind it because you can't kind of suss it out unless you're on social media all day, every day. And even that's not a, you know, it's not an accurate, there's a debauchery to that, that you can't really see what's going on. So we're hoping that we can be zero will be a, you know, a useful way for, for Boris Johnson, for Michal Martin, for Michelle O'Neill, for Arlene Foster to see that people do want zero COVID and that they would do what is necessary to make it happen. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So tonight it'll be an opportunity. Simon is going to speak about her experiences. Some of you will heard of speak speak at the first meeting. Amanda Palmer is going to talk about New Zealand and what it's like over there, um, and she's going to explain like how what 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 was it like to get to zero? What did you have to do? Because there's lots of myths, you know, and there's lots of people organising on Telegram Telegram groups saying all sorts of stuff that's just totally not true. Zero COVID, like that it would be all this draconian, you know, civil liberties. All this. It's it's in fact it's the opposite. It's about giving us the space to to open up faster and to save lives and to come together again. So I kind of think the only the only way to convince people of that is if they hear it from someone who's experienced it. So that's why we put this together. So Amanda Palmer will be there and she's going to say what it was like in New Zealand. We'll have voices from Australia we'll, and we'll have voices from Singapore. Singapore also did zero COVID. Lots of different people to kind of explain. ISAG will be there. Tomas Ryan will be there. Ethan McLeish will be there to kind of answer your questions about where we're at right now, particularly the B117 variant. Like that's something that we need to talk about in terms of vaccines and how that's going to affect us. Um, so there'll be a space to kind of ask questions, but also to just share your grief and to share if you're pissed off or if you want to just express that because it's really difficult that we haven't had that opportunity for human connection so we're trying to provide that space as well we're going to try our best you know we're going to try our best to make it feel the most like awake that it possibly can um without being able to be together so bring your bring your drinks bring your little small sandwiches bring whatever you'd have at awake and and come and listen to amanda sing a few songs and ask a few questions and I hope even, you know, anyone in the doll, anyone in the anyone in the assembly, anyone in the House of Commons wants to come and listen to, you're more than welcome. And um, we won't be rolling out the red carpet, but you can come. <laughs> I think <laughs> you know, it's, it's this particularly is the campaign where all the people it's particularly timely because I think people are really struggling this week, having been told via Morning Ireland that we've got another two months of lockdown. Yeah. Um, and I think people are really struggling with that. Linda, I get a sense you're bursting to come in there. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good thing to do in terms of the the wake thing because I've had two funerals that I've had to watch on Zoom and it's it, you, you get that sense of um, not really getting that chance to say goodbye or celebrate that person. So I think the wake thing of, is really, really key. I think we need to reflect on what we've lost. Yeah, yeah. I was at a funeral this week that cut out halfway through. So I crashed. Mm. Um, it's just, yeah, really, really hard. Um, and you need to I think we all need to hear like I've had I lost my aunt in June she's like who I was very very close to and we didn't get to have you know the wake and all that kind of stuff and you know that moment where you arrive at the church and like your colleagues are there or people you don't know that well that kind of Irish thing and you're like oh they came that's so nice 
Yeah. Like, we haven't had any of that. And we haven't had the opportunity for people to say, like, I'm sorry for your loss. Like, you know, like, so even just saying, I'm sorry for your loss, I think that will move us on a little bit, you know, and I'm sorry for all of our, all of our losses, you know, um, and I, I want, but I also want the, the level of loss to be mitigated if possible, you know, by this, there is another way that hopefully we don't have to lose as many lives. Yeah. And I think it's, it's frustrating hearing like, oh, we're having level five lockdown until Easter, but then it's exception after exception after exception. I mean, the, the, the talk of the, how the, <laughs> the quarantine on arrival is coming in. I was like, could you have any more exceptions to that? I know. That's, that's not actually a quarantine system. It's, it's really frustrating. I know. And Vicky, look, you know, another day, I, I definitely talked to you about the policies of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael yeah. and all that. And I've spoken about it on the programme before and all that kind of stuff. But I think, I really feel and I have to believe that people are doing the best they can with the tools yeah. they have. Do you know what I mean? So they're trying their very, very best. I am I know I'm trying my best. Um, but what I'm imagining is that on the, they've announced that on February 22nd, they're going to be publishing a refreshed version of the Living with COVID plan, which... You know, we have failed to live with COVID three times, yeah. you know, and I think they're starting to kind of see that now. You know, like Michal Martin did say about Christmas, and there's been a little bit of political humility in the last week as well that we kind of have to, you know, give credit for. Um, but I'm hoping that on the, on the 22nd of February, that what I'm going to see is Michal Martin walking down those steps and saying, we're going to adopt a zero COVID approach for these shared islands. I'm hoping yeah. that I can see Michelle O'Neill and Arlene Foster standing shoulder to shoulder at Storm and saying, it's a zero COVID approach for these shared islands. I'm hoping Boris is going to say in the, you know, in the little road panelled room that we've all gotten so used to seeing him, him come into, that he's going to be able to say, we're doing a zero COVID approach for these shared islands. Like it's totally possible, you know, if they were, and like, it is hard, but this is so stressful. And I know that we're all trying to focus on what we can control. So like, you know, can we, you know, go for a walk? Can we get more air? Can we look after ourselves? And this, this does feel uncontrollable. But when I really drill down into the logic of it, it's not, you know, it's not. It is something that's within our gift. We can tell our political leaders, this is what we want. You know, we can we can lead and we can show them that we have been leading and we've been saying that this is what we want. And we can we can help them to see that we would we would go with it because it needs everyone to do it. It's not going to happen. They can't, you know, it needs cooperation. Like everything has needed cooperation. Dare I say it, we're all in this together, you know? So like that's they need to be able to see that so there's a kind of a two-way street but that's the image that's the eyes on the prize that I have at the moment that's what's getting me through it's yeah. kind of thinking okay February 22nd Michal Martin stands at the Taoiseach's department and tells us uh Michelle O'Neill Arlene Foster of the Open Stormont they tell us Boris and the two scientific advisors on either side he's telling us that it's a shared a, you know a, a, a zero COVID approach for these shared islands unified approach across these shared islands that gets us to the next place and that's, that's eight days that's for. it that's a really strong yeah. focus james did you want to comment there yeah yeah i just wanted to come in there on because it seems like our approach to covid our, our response to covid is probably nearly worse than covid itself you know and i know in, in cork anyway um in the recovery community covid has had a very detrimental impact on mm. people relapsing um, people going back on drugs, alcohol, um, the isolation of not having the usual outlets, the usual services. I know things are done remotely, but you know, the one-to-one interaction is important. And um, for people with mental health issues as well, not being able to go to the gym. And even when they closed the gym and left it open for um, one-on-one and kind of personal training, I don't think there was any outbreaks linked to any of that either. Do you know what I mean? So. Um, like to, and mm. it seems like our lockdown is way more extreme than other jurisdictions. You know, I'm just like to have four or five months, it will be you now a block, four or five months. Well, we're just in complete lockdown. Like it just feels it's yeah, it's depressing. It's very depressing. And then when there's um when Leo or Mihal, especially Leo, um he if I do this, this is gonna happen. This is for children, do you know what I mean? It's like uh, I'll open up this, mm. but then you've got these consequences, it's like we're not children, Leo, do you know. So I can mm. get very uh, frustrated. And, and um yeah, no, that's what I want to And say. I think that's how so many are feeling. Um I'm gonna 
say thank you so much to um to grace and encourage everyone please log on at five o'clock today um we're not leaving covid just yet because there's been so much that's happened in relation to that linda talk to us what's going on with the leaving cert um so i had i did a great panel discussion yeah. this week with some first years and vicky thank you for the contact with a couple of your first year students um and some leaving certs and we had the amazing isabel flanagan on um telling us about how she's feeling about the fact that they're insisting that the leaving cert is going ahead this year and that they're talking about bringing the leaving certs back with the special needs schools um just after easter they're the the leaving certs now have missed more school time than the leaving cert last year when they moved to predicted grades. Um, they haven't that they've missed most of the the senior cycle, to be honest. Um, and the pressure of it is really starting to tell. Um, you're seeing very difficult mental health issues um arising from this and uh the cam system is in certain places no longer taking referrals um so there's parts of the country where you know students are feeling the the pressure of not just um the the fact that they have these exams looming over them and their whole future nearly depends on it um but the 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 mental health impacts of they're trying to study for their leaving cert. They're trying to do their schoolwork online. They're usually doing it in their bedroom. They may not have access to the resources that they need in terms of laptops, tablets, good Wi-Fi, um, depending on their family circumstances. And they're sitting within four walls um, day after day after day and there's no escape from, from it for them. You know, they're not in a school environment where they can... Um, kind of park that and then come home and have some respite from it they're talking about the fact that it's constantly on their minds you know they're they're literally going from bed to desk to desk to bed um and that's what's happening and it's it's absolutely having a detrimental mental health effect and I know myself at the moment we can't get any free mental health services the waiting lists are way too long we now are at the stage where we can't get any paid mental health services if we want to support people and and help them to financially pay for that we can't even get that because the waiting lists for therapists are through the roof and I have therapists who are at burnout stage um who are having to take a step back for their own health um and and we just can't access anything around it so I think the longer this is going on and the longer it's hanging over these young people the worse it's going to get Martin, can I ask you to come in? Because like Asti or I don't know, it just looks to me like they're playing hokey pokey, like rin, right, rin, right. Like what's going on there? I, I, I disagree with you. Um, okay. I think if you look at it, that schools, the opening of schools is the key to opening the rest of your society. Without opening schools, you can't. And I, I mean, it's it's terrible, but it's a child minding service that people have come to depend on. Um, it is that. It is also education as well. And for the vast majority of parents, when you drop your kids off at school, it's guilt-free, thought-free. You can drive away and be absolutely assured nothing's going to happen to your kids. So are teachers overreacting? No, I don't think they're overreacting. I think the government underspent on its budget by 11 million, Tony, I think it was. 11 that, billion. Uh, sorry, 11 billion. Now, they've had a year and 11 billion in their back pockets to sort out education, but they put pints before pupils. That's the truth. Yeah, that's and, the truth. I mean, can I just get, that's the one thing that has to be said. We, sp- we saw it this week again. When can I get my hair cut? Oof. Lads, yeah. like I mean, I know, I know, I need a haircut, but I'd rather the schools open safely. Um, James, did you want to say something? Sorry, just shave your own like me, Tony. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think priority-wise, um, we have to look what are, what are the priorities for society. And the priorities for society has to be number one, schools reopening, and you have to be able to do that in a safe way. So I think great on the teachers. They're beginning to realize that they are the key to keeping society open. If I were them, I'd be dropping the hammer on government hugely, massively. And there's like, 
I don't know. I'm starting to think about this in other ways, I suppose, as a lecturer as well. Like, and you know, last year we had delayed starts to university because the leaving cert results were so late in coming out. But like when you take Linda's point about how much education they've missed, like there's a real question for universities about adapting to that, that they won't, the students coming to us next year will not have the level of skills development that they would normally have. And that's that's a huge challenge for universities. But also as well, the things like um, adapting to a new way of learning, that was one of the things that the first years brought up, um, that there seems to be, they're, they're being shoved into this remote kind of learning situation where they're having to adapt to a new way of learning because how you you learn in your curriculum in secondary school and how you learn in your curriculum in, in university is completely different. Um and they feel just a little bit lost at sea with it. And I'm hearing from a lot of first years that they want to drop out because they feel very isolated. Um, they're finding it really hard to adapt. It's a whole new way of learning, working, living, and they're not adapting to it at all. They're really, really struggling. Grace, did you want to cop in there? Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, I think th- there is a kind of a connection between this and the zero COVID piece, like, because really like you know there's so many important things that like the consequences of this virus you know and this non-sentient virus you know that's just like causing havoc in all our lives I think like it can feel like you know to put put out smaller bits here that had the effect on students the effect on women the effect on you know all those things but like for me it's like if we if we solve the strategic problem then all the other problems you know fall into place but then you're left with like so for like so this is like a big fire and we're we're all sitting in a room where there's a big fire talking about how are we going to solve this part of it how are we going to solve the leaving cert like how could you do your leaving cert with a fire blazing around you like and really what that means is like how would you do the leaving cert when your granny died and then your granddad died and you weren't able to go to the funeral for either do you know what I mean how would you do your leaving cert when you weren't able to go to your after school club when you weren't able to do grinds when you weren't able to see your teachers face to face when you didn't have a laptop. Do you know what I mean? So like, I feel like I'd love to see if there's some way of like working together with the people mobilizing around the leave and search with students mobilizing around it to kind of push for this as well. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. the dots. I think it's like, join yeah. the dots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I also just really cautious of this thing of like, I can't remember who told me, it might've been Joe Kennedy and something like this eight years ago, but like uh, oppressed people oppress each other. Right. So like I've seen that happening so much. And even the thing I've seen a couple of stuff with people who would be very pro unions or understand it, you know, getting really angry at the ASTI this week. And I'm just like, where's that coming from? And I'm like, I can see that it's like if you're if you're feeling the pressure and you just want your kids to go back to school, you know, and you're just like, this is so difficult because it is so difficult for people and it's really difficult for kids, really difficult for everybody. Then I can see how you might go, you know, and that that anger is really welcome. But like, how can we channel it? Yeah, you know, eyes on the prize, and you know, in the in the right places, you know, not be attacking each other. Same as like people giving out about other people going to ju- to gyms or shabins or all that stuff. And like, I'm doing everything right. I don't think that person's doing right. Or did you see that person yeah. on Instagram? Yeah, no, three I, or four different people. I'm like, stop as it. as as someone who goes goes for a run and has had people actually say, "Oh, I know where you live, and you're you're more than five k from your house." Like go mm. and shite, like seriously, and 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 I, actually I'm not. It does, it's a five k radius. It's not. Yeah, this yeah, no, I know. But nonetheless, people on social media going, oh, and you're like, okay, um, rugby ball with uh, numbers after your name, telling me that I was this, and I, I'm I'm just not here for it. Um, yeah. No, you're right. Sorry. But then, Katie. like, it is really hard adjusting to that in the week where I mean, Linda, you had to go to the dentist this week, mm. and you stayed in Dublin. Like, I just, I get what Grace is saying, but it is really hard when you see large numbers of people traveling for what we're being told, although we're also being told the data isn't very accurate, is non-essential purposes. Did you want to comment on that, Linda? Yeah, so we've seen this week um, Tenerife. Uh, We had uh, a, a dental surgery in Tenerife has refused to take Irish appointments. Because the amount of people who were ringing, looking for appointments, asking for written confirmation of the appointment and then not showing up. Um, So and they predominantly picked the Irish as 
been the culprits for this. Now, the Gardaí have contacted the surgery and gotten the names of all of the people who didn't show up for their appointments. Um, and a lot of the um, 40% of the people who were leaving the country last week were saying that they were leaving for medical appointments elsewhere. Um, so, like... <sighs> It's, pro- it's it's problematic um, that they're doing it. It is. And if you think that this is, we've been told this is like a war from day one. So we're all on the front lines doing our bits and pieces. And we're looking at the deserters going the other way. And it makes you understand why they shot deserters in the past. That's ah. a, It does. Mm. It makes you understand why they did. Nobody likes to see it because it kills the morale of everybody else. Martin, and that's Martin, the problem. OK. All right. I'm going to say two quick things. Very quick. One, I think there's quite a bit, a bit of classism going on here because we focused predominantly on Tenerife. We've said fuck all about Dubai and about Austria, where the main cases are stemming out of ski resorts and, and places where the guaranteed sun. I mean, I know people in Dubai and they have had a really bad influx of the B117 virus because the Irish and English have arrived in mass but we don't talk about that because that's a different um, social social economic class um, and then the second thing about it is that's the loophole the state mm. left the loophole there on purpose don't tell me they didn't so except yeah like- and like this is the thing for me because the question's coming in the chat is it illegal to go to Tenerife like it's illegal to go past your 5k if it's not for essential travel I mean and that's the baseline but like for me this all links on leadership right and when there's even a conversation about Michal Martin going to Washington. Of course, people are doing things like this. Like this is the thing about we can be zero, right? It's about all of us recognizing what it takes for us to be safe and doing that. And like, I personally cannot fathom these conversations about Michal Martin. Like I'm just, my head is just like, we have a question. What would Jacinda Ardern do, right? And like, that should be our mantra on all of this. And if there is like, there are so many people thinking it was completely legitimate for him to travel well of course they're going to think it's okay to go and like to generate a, a, a way to get your son holiday in you know i think as well you know stemming from the golf gate thing a few months ago yeah. the rt party thing people are looking at that and they're like fuck this i'm booking tenerife why am i yeah. why am i sacrificing when the elites are living it up i think and then people make decisions then or rationalize their holidays when they see stuff like that so it is it comes down to poor leadership and people in the public eye, not, not going ahead with the, the social distancing and the restrictions like everybody yeah. else. And then the, that has a knock-on effect. And, th- and this is where it comes from. Can I go on, yeah. on the war metaphor that Martin starts us off with, there with the <laughs> <laughs> deserters and everything? Um, so like That's- how I see it is like we're all at war because this thing could kill us. So it's terrifying. We're all, we're all in fight or flight crisis, you know, response every day. And it's, you know, it's exhausting. Um, but... I kind of see if I'm going to go with the war metaphor, it's like we're at war and our generals are a bit like they just don't know what to do. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think that they're necessarily like evil or like that they've gone to the other side or that they're like dictators or anything. I think they're just a bit like we don't have a clue what to do here. Do you know, this is a whole new thing. We're not sure about it. We're afraid that business people will be angry with us if we do zero COVID. We're afraid of all the stuff about the norm and the border and we've talked about that for years we don't really understand that and that's kind of everyone on the on the shared islands you know I think you know and even it was mentioned there in the chat about Scotland and Wales but absolutely like you know absolutely we need to be we need to be all those leaders need to wheel on this but um, they're kind of staying out I've seen you know Scotland and Wales kind of staying out with the whole issue around the border and all that kind of you know what I mean so like there is like that kind of stuff as well so like it is that thing of like they're just they just kind of seem to be just a bit terrified. And if you have shell shock is a good way of looking at it. You know what I mean? Like just like stunned, like not knowing what to do. So if you had, if you were at war and you had a general who didn't know what to do, you'd probably go like, it's every man for himself. Like, fuck this. I don't know what to do. This is all mental. Do you know what I mean? So like, mm. it kind of makes a bit of sense to me. Like, you know, I can see, I'm not, I'm not advocating for it. I'm not saying, yeah, fuck it. Do what you want. Yeah, but that's but like, we're being, we're being led in that direction, right? Because when yeah. people are afraid, we can respond to that in different ways. We can play on that fear by saying we need a war against this, right? Mm. And the same as war on drugs, war on immigration, all of these things, right? Mm. And war language is really damaging because it justifies all kinds of things and all kinds yeah. of behavior. We Spot could on. say people are afraid. Let's respond compassionately. 
let's acknowledge that fear and try and help each other through that. And that's, to me, what Jacinda Ardern is doing. Uh, mm. You know, let's help neighbouring countries by providing vaccinations to them. And it's not a siege mentality. It's a it's a compassionate mentality. And that's, mm. you, you know, for all of our stress levels, even like on an individual level, that would make a massive difference. Because when you hear that type of language of war, it generates anxiety in and of itself. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not healthy. Yeah, but the no, one thing to remember totally is, right? and it's something we need to move away from, you know, in, on these shared islands, we don't need to be going back to those kind of metaphors, not to totally like throw tea all over you, Martin, you know, it's good kind of like, no, no, no throw tea all, all over him, go for it. <laughs> but, but one like, thing to remember is they, they need to start listening to their advisors. Yeah, and there are people advising them, there are people like ISAG who are doing great work and they're not listening. Yeah, but then we have to yeah. start looking at who are they hiring as their advisors. And yeah. Do we really want to open that conversation up this morning? Not right now. Come um, no, okay, I'm go gonna on. I'm gonna move us on from COVID. Um, there's a couple of stories we're gonna mention briefly. Um, Caroline was unable to join us this morning, but we just want to flag that we have spotted that um, Crumlin Hospital has indicated that it won't be providing services with for children with gender identity issues, um, and I think they're going to be have to go to Britain for that now. Um, but Caroline is planning um, to get a panel together, and we'll be discussing that further in the week on the Glow West podcast. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and Tony, can you update us on Leo the Leak? No, it's just, it's, there's not much to update. Like yeah. this is, we've known this was the case that the 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 police, the Gardaí have taken the phones, Matthew O'Toole's phone and other phones and Che Bose has given statements. Simon Harris has now given statements. There are, there, it is an open, it is an open case. They are, I'd, I'd you know, again, talking to people, there's there's a lot of talk that 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 it will it will eventually go away, but it's funny because it's what's happened is since it's happened, it's now nearly four months, and he's just the the, the tarnished has become a, an open wound in Fine Gael, and you saw it yesterday where the Irish Examiner are saying has Leo lost his mojo? Is Simon Harris leadership material? Um, and it's kind of. A couple of things have happened in politics. This it, it, obviously rumors always abound. So there's a lot of rumors around what what's been on the phone, what's not come out yet that's on the phone, all of these things. And I've, you know, I'm not claiming any sort of insight, but there are there are other messages on the phones that will that and there are other things that will that will actually vindicate, in my opinion, some of the things that Macho O'Toole said in terms of meetings that took place. So so that's that's all. Look that that will the the Gardaí, whether that's a criminal matter. That's the decision for them, Vic. You'd know better than me. It, it, this is this is politics, but some of the other ugly stuff that's bouncing around this week. You know, we saw around in terms of CETA, and again, whether the rumors are true or not, it's horrible to hear. They're saying, "Oh well, if you're if you're really thinking of of waving uh, of st- t- taking a stand on CETA, we'll take a stand on direct provision and, and crap like that." I'm not saying that people are again rumors. But you hate to hear these rumours coming out. It's just kind of ugly. And this goes back to this culture of leaking and and actually leaking intentionally to create that kind of disharmony. And there's no question if, if like, if I'm hearing it, <laughs> like, I guarantee you every every political correspondent in the country is hearing this stuff. So it's kind of gotten, it's gotten a bit nasty within government, within the government parties. And um Fine Gael have a problem on their hands and they're not quite sure how to deal with it because they know that 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 the Tanishta is damaged. There's no there's no question he's he's really damaged by this. Martin, did you want to comment there? Sorry, sorry, Vic just caught me on the hop there. I was typing at the same time. Yeah, I I I think you know, it, it is to leak confidential documents. If you can't have that as the bar of what's wrong to do and to be so openly dismissive of doing it, um, I, I look to do something wrong is to do something wrong. Uh, Trump got off in the States yesterday and we know and we all know he did something wrong. Now, I know there's degrees, but they did uh, the tarnished did something wrong something that's potentially criminal it's certainly unacceptable in political circles and to just dismiss it like that and say yeah we have a majority so it's okay what leo does i think that's disgraceful i think it's disgraceful that any politician voted and said that's okay i think it's disgraceful for the sake of what for the sake of what would he have lost? The whip for a couple of weeks? Maybe he'd have been taken out of, of uh, jobs for a couple of weeks? 
I think the punishment is so small that they might as well admit the crime because well, the punishment is so no, can small. I, can, I, can I go back and just say, just on, sorry, Linda, I know you want to say something, but it's the same week where the RT ran a story saying that he that, that the employers' groups are warning about the introduction of a minimum wage and the trouble it can cause. And meanwhile, Leo Varadkar signing a letter with other countries saying to the EU to say, let's not go ahead with the EU directive to... Uh, introduce a living wage and improve collective bargaining rights so we don't have them here in this country and he's objecting within the eu to the eu parliament he has signed a letter to say he objects to this and yet we have this cognitive dissonance of of writing um of an article coming out saying oh employers groups are afraid he's going to increase the minimum wage getting to see look at what he's actually doing not what not not Mm. what the 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 science sound bites are does my head in linda yeah it's (laughs) You have to remember, this is rolling on since October. Like, it it is definitely damaging to them. Um, the fact that it has not gone away in the way that they wanted it to go away. You know, it was, uh, oh, you know, I did it in the best interest. And then it has rolled on. And I don't think the Village Magazine is finished with this yet either. I think they still have more stuff. So I think it's gone to the stage where Leo is never going to get to be Taoiseach again. I don't think, I think his position has become quite untenable. Um, and it's how long he can hang on to the roller coaster. So. Okay. Um, I'm going to move us on to, um, a really important topic. Not that others weren't important, but, um, today's Valentine's day and it's the 40th anniversary of the Stardust tragedy. Um, if you haven't yet, please go and listen to the poem written and read by Claire O'Connor's mother, um, a survivor on Facebook. It's incredibly powerful, but I, I, I'm going to abuse my uh, hosting uh, position for a minute because I do want to talk about this. This is a really critical year for the Stardust families. I mean, not only have they lost um, key parents and advocates like Christina Keegan, but it's also the year when inquests are due to begin. And inquests establish a couple of things, who died, when they died, where they died and how. And the how is a really big question. And it's it's that question that could potentially lead to a finding of unlawful killings through negligence and so on. I This is something I could talk about endlessly and I want to do a podcast on it soon. But our system of inquest in Ireland is really, 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 really poor. And recently the government had a chance to wholesale update it and it failed to take that opportunity. I'm going to point out two really awful things about our inquest system. So only coroners in Dublin and Cork have staff to assist them. The rest are part-time coroners. And only, um, so outside of Dublin, the Gardaí conduct and present the investigation for the coroner and they handpick the jury. Like they literally walk outside the building and say, you free for a couple hours, come in here and do this. But what's really interesting is to see of late how far victims have managed to circumvent government. So it was the Attorney General who agreed on a legal basis to have new inquests. And the coroner for Dublin has granted permission for full legal aid for families. But now, at the first moment that they have to support these inquests, the government seems to be stalling in providing that legal aid. So the coroner said you can have it, but the government are stalling on it. And as I said, our inquest system is so far behind what happens in the UK, but the lawyers are trying to achieve here in Stardust um, really incredible things that could really start dragging our system into the 20th century, let alone the 21st. So like one of the things is the coroners agreed that inquests um, could start with pen portraits. And these are really short statements telling us about each of the victims as never happened in Ireland before. And in the Grenfell inquest, they went so far as to permit videos, photos, music and other media to really generate that picture of the person who died. And so for Grenfell, there were 72 victims that took seven days and it really places those victims at the start. So there's something really, really interesting and important going on because the lawyers and the families and the coroner are willing to push the inquests in this direction, but government are refusing to do so. Like they're not even going to pay for the lawyers, it seems. This is, it's appalling. It's so shameful 40 years on. Um, I'm very angry about it. I don't know if anyone else is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank. If I could just sorry, sorry. Just this, Claire, Claire, Claire O'Connor. Claire, yeah, it was on the line. I just thought I thought I'd bring her in. Thanks. I just want to say one thing, Claire. Your um, your mother's poem. Everybody needs amazing. to check it out. It's amazing. So sorry, Claire, for cutting across you. But go it's ahead. Incredible. Yeah. Sorry. 
every time I hear it, even mention the poem, I'm get a bit choked up. Um, just on the issue with legal aid, uh, so Dara, like Dara Macken is a solicitor for 46 of the families of the 48 people who died. And he has, he conducted the Ballymorphy inquest. So he has experience around this. And it was actually his idea a couple of years ago to go down this, this route, like this, this was like the last mechanism, you know, to any kind of road yeah. to justice. So he has been writing to the government for months about the legal aid option because they use the legal aid option in the Ballymorphy situation and actually it costs so much more than say what they used in the likes of uh, Hillsborough so they're not they're giving everybody legal aid they're not it's not going to go by income or anything like that and they have approved it the problem is is that legal aid kicks in the day the inquest starts and obviously there's months of work to be done yeah. I mean one family alone dropped a van load of paperwork to Dara's office there during the week one family have like a van load of paperwork so that's part of the issue. It's that if they wait till the first day, well, then it has to be postponed and we're into 2022 easily because this is already going to be the longest inquest in the history of the state. Mm. Dara has been suggesting, um, because after Bally Morphy, um, there was a lot of talk around how expensive it was and that's going to have a knock-on effect for this being used in the future as well. If people think that, you know, the lawyers are gougers and they're just trying to make as much money as possible. The lawyer in this instance is actually trying to save the state money and he's been contacting them for months and saying legal aid, it's so, it's it's a lot of money per day per family. And like he's representing 46 families. So he is more than happy to take, you know, a reduced amount and, and put together like a package like they did in Hillsborough, but to have it agreed in advance so that he can then instruct barristers to go off and, and start the work. So, but they're, they're stonewalling them. And Lynn Boylan raised this in the Shannon the other day, the fact that the Department of Justice, it's like they, they've messed up. It, like, because my instinct, my first impression was they're just delaying it. They're, this is just more of a delay. We've seen this for years and years and years, but it, it seems just like incompetence. They thought this was, go on Vicky, yeah. But like, I just think it's really important to say Bobby Murphy and Hillsborough are very different because they happened under different inquest systems. Like you have some there that are used to the idea of families being able to call their own experts. Um, that's not the case here. Like people struggle to get that. Um, like our inquest system is just so backwards. Um, yeah. And it's the legal expertise is more essential than ever. Um, so I just, yeah. Yeah, no, the hand. Like, how can we help? Like, is there, like, is it a case of getting like a GoFundMe going or something like that? Like, or what do you think? No, no, it's pressurizing the state. Yeah, pressurizing the government. Yeah, so it's getting behind the the likes of Darren Mackin and Phoenix Law, the public reps that have been brilliant, that have been supporting it, and just supporting the families. So, like, Mm. you know, if you see an interview on a paper, share it. If you see, like, it needs to be just constantly in the public consciousness. It needs to just be there all the time. And I think just from the feedback, even, say, from my mum's poem in the past day, like, there's so many people, everybody I know knows about the Stardust and has a story, but there's still, so there's young people who know nothing about it and are being introduced to it and are just stunned by it. And yeah. when you get that kind of critical mass of people who, it's the only time any change happens in this country, you know, because, get to a level of rage and they direct it at the government, that's the only time action actually happens. So we're so close. And I have to say, like the, and Dara has said a couple of times this week that the, um, the judge presiding over this inquest has really gone above and beyond yeah. to... Like he said, even the 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 statement she put on the website the other day, you yeah. know, paying tribute to the anniversary and the victims and the, the mention of the pen portraits. And like they're really he's you know, everybody's very hopeful that this is an opportunity to get this right. And that this judge seems to be really given a huge amount of consideration to the, the pain and the trauma that's been there for so long. But ultimately, it's again, it's institutions of the state that are getting in the way. And it's just the fact that the most important thing is they're stonewalling Derek. Derek is trying to make this easier for everybody. He's trying to yeah. make this work properly and they're just not listening to him. So that's get onto your public reps, make phone calls, post on social media, just put the pressure on, you know, to show them that we're watching and we're not going to let this happen again. And we're not going to let justice slide by again by it being done wrong because that's what's happened with all these reports. All the reports we've had were just done wrong. They were done incorrectly, whether purposefully or true incompetence um, and the most important thing is that this doesn't happen again and for it not to happen again we need to take the expertise of the people who have been and like I know they're all say there's different inquests and there's different you know legal systems and all the different jurisdictions but there's people from every one of those examples there's people from Grenfell there's people from Hillsborough experts involved you know and all working together to try and rectify the mistakes of the past and make sure that this is done in the best way possible yeah. so yeah, just please. Um, Linda. Blair, can I just ask, what minister yeah. does it fall under? Justice. 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 Helen McEntee, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's, um, 
I mean, it's, it was committed to it in the last government. It was recommitted to it. Michal Martin specifically mentioned the status in the budget. Like, they they haven't been shying away from it. Like they said, the problem is, is the mechanism they've chosen is legal aid. Legal aid doesn't work. First of all, it will delay it. And second of all, it will cost so much more than it needs to cost. Like, and then what we'll have is we'll have complaints about like the fact that the, like there's already people, if I post on social media, I'll get people in my feed like it's 40 years ago, either extremely cartless and be like people need to get over or, you know, maybe it's time to move on. It's 40 years. How, how, will, how can we know what happened now kind of thing? And there are people who will see a massive price tag and say, you know, that should have been spent on something else type thing. So again, Dara's trying to have this done in the yeah. best way possible, but the most efficient, cost efficient as well. I think too, it's worth remembering and it was more to the fore back at the time that there's a huge class issue involved in this, yeah. a massive, oh, massive class issue. And that uh, in that sense, it's very like Hillsborough and Grenfell in that the, the people who were most damaged by the Stardust have the least agency. And yeah. if it happened in another part of Dublin, I mean, if that happened in Blackrock, you wouldn't be waiting yeah. 40 years for answers. You would not be. I but suppose also how they were- wait, wait, sorry. Sorry, like what I'm saying about the difference is that our system is so far behind that we're still reliant on legal aid. So it's developed in the UK past that and into better places. And what's really key about this is as much as the justice is absolutely needed for these families, what is happening at these inquests already, even the decision to have pen portraits is going to have massive consequences for the state. Like the state is obliged to hold inquests for every death in the mother and baby homes. You know, they're thinking longer games. They're worried about broader consequences from agreeing to things in this situation. But they are obliged under Article 2 of the European Convention of Human Rights absolutely obliged to have transparent mechanisms of investigation and accountability for such deaths. Um, and they can't shy away from this. And we need um, all to agree on that. So please, everyone, reach out to your um, your TDs and let them know how you feel about this. Thank you so much, Claire. And everyone, please go um, uh, and listen to her mother reading the heartbreaking poem. Um, finally, then, Heroes of the Week. Uh, Linda. I'm going to go with Denise Chaya, um, who has been absolutely inundated with racism this week. Um, it's absolutely disgusting to see. And she's up for a couple of awards. Um, so if you can uh, go and vote for her, I think she's up for Best New Artist um, across a couple of awards. So um, do go and vote for her because the woman has put up with so much this week it's been disgusting um, and she's just faced it down and kept going and I, I think you know she's to be commended for how she's dealt with it but it's absolutely unacceptable what has happened and we all have a duty to call it out I'm going to jump in the middle because mine's a downer. Um, I, my hero of the week is my dear friend, Katie Dawson, who died on Monday, um, who was an absolute hero of a barrister, complete hero. She did so much work on course of control, on family law, on repeal. She was an absolute powerhouse. Um, and it's really sad to have her gone um, at such a young age. But um, her legacy is amazing. And she's my hero this week. Tony. <laughs> How do you follow that? Um, I, I will say, actually, I'm not going to follow that. I'm just going to say we, myself, Vicky and, and Katie were on a, um, a Zoom chat just in the, in November, I think it was. And she was kind of going, Vicky, you sure you're doing right mixing up, getting mixed up with that kind of fella? That's the kind of look I was getting. <laughs> and she I'm wasn't telling wrong. you, she's such a bright woman. That's what I'm saying. She wasn't wrong. She was right yeah. there. She's right all along. Um, no, I honestly, I can't. I can't say anything other than um i'm sorry you lost your friend and i'm sorry we've lost an important voice um and and that is that that is all that matters this week to me when we talk about something like that i uh, just the level there's some fantastic um tributes been paid yeah and that just shows the quality of the of of the lady and, and who she was and i didn't know her well but i knew i knew i knew you loved her and that was enough so so fair play martin you're here this week actually it's 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 all of us that pull the masks up over our noses that endure and that don't go off to Tenerife or Dubai or whatever and that stick to the rules because I think it's been a very very difficult week for people I think we've realized that we're in for much longer um, restrictions than, than we had bargained on so I think everybody who does it right who sticks to the rules I think you're all heroes and I really do think you are. James 
Do you have someone you'd like to suggest? Yeah, I recorded a podcast yesterday with a Cork man called Brian Lennon. He's 26. And I would have watched Brian a few years ago playing for Cork City. He stood out head and shoulders above everybody else. He got a move to the Premier League and was unlucky with injury. He was in the Irish setup with Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. A couple of bad injuries, mental health went, suicide attempt, electroshock treatment, months of um, psychiatric care. Um, I know he's back in Cork, he's retired through his mental health, but he's on the mend, he's on a new medication, and uh, he's just one of the most resilient, remarkable men I've ever met, and I was thinking about him all day yesterday and all night after coming away from him, you know, just, um, yeah, just so resilient and being through a lot, but has found a uh, focus in his life now through his son uh, to live, so I just, I'm still thinking about him this morning, I woke up thinking about him, so mm-hmm. it's amazing young flat. Yeah, it's brilliant. Can't wait to hear that one. Grace, would you like to suggest somebody? No pressure. Yeah, um, uh, just inspired by what you said there, Vicky. Um, a friend of mine passed away this week as well, uh, Emma O'Kane, who is a choreographer with Cush Kane Dance Theatre and um, loads of other independent work that she did herself as well. And I worked with her a good bit. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just so shocking. She was 44 and she's an absolute hero, you know, like you could probably see in some of the outpouring of grief on social media, just one of the gentlest, kindest people, just really, really an incredible artist and a leader um, in the field and an amazing activist as well in her own right. And it's just, it's so shocking and it's so, it's so hard not to be able to be together and, and to grieve her. Um, but yeah, just to pay tribute, she's an absolutely incredible person and I'm privileged to have got to be in a rehearsal room with her so and we will we will bring all of that at 5 p.m today to the um we can be zero and I'm pleased to see the mentions of Amy and Don in the chat as well um who was on police this week um okay we're gonna wrap it up here um uh, for the official bit please our patrons stick around throw your hands up if you'd like to say something pop a question in the chat um, and if you're listening back to this you need to get subscribed so that you can come along next week and join us for these chats and conversations um, so thanks everyone for contributing and we'll speak to you all next week